The scripture lesson this morning is coming from the first chapter of Luke, which is the scene of what's called the Annunciation, when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and we hear the rest of the story. So listen now for God's word to you today. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, or Miriam in Hebrew. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and wondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. And then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Loving God, we pray that you'll grant us the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the hearts and minds to understand your word and your world this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So how many of you remember the movie Mystic Pizza? came out in 1988. It was one of Julia Roberts' first movies, and it was set in the beautiful seaside town of Mystic, Connecticut, which just happens to be about 10 miles from my mom's hometown. So happy Mother's Day, Mom, if you're watching from somewhere in Southern California. Anyway, the other day, I came across this really interesting um, headline on an article on the for an article on the internet, and it says this, Vatican launches task force as mystic claims Virgin Mary gives her free pizza. Okay, um, so that was the headline, and I kid you not, talk about mystic pizza. It seems that a woman who is from Italy, Gisela Cardia, has been drawing huge crowds to a hilltop in Trevignano, which is near Rome. She stands in front of this massive statue of the Virgin Mary, and she claims the Virgin, uh, the statue, sheds tears of blood. And then she goes into, the tra into a trance, and she writes down everything that Mary says to her, and she performs miracles, too, like multiplying, multiplying a few slices of pizza into enough food to feed hundreds of people, which I guess is harking back to Jesus feeding the 5,000. And more people come to her mystic uh, food offerings than attend Mass in the local church. And of course, this has got the Vatican kind of uh, upset, and so they appointed a task force to look into the matter. And the chair of the task force, Father Stefano Cicin, says that while the church obviously does and encourages people to venerate Mary, the mother of God, it is concerned about the rise of so-called Madonna mystics. Madonna mystics. That was not the title of one of her albums, was it? Anyway, Madonna mystics 
who cause confusion, promote apocalyptic scenarios, and even make accusations against the Pope and the Church. Okay, so stories like that tend to put the mother of Jesus herself in kind of a bad light, don't they? Not that there's anything wrong with Mary, of course. It's just that it gets so easy sometimes to dismiss or make fun of all the just strange or questionable things people do in the name of the mother of Jesus. You know, especially for us Protestants. I mean, we deeply respect Mary as the mother of Jesus and as a paragon of faith and love, but we don't really spend that much time thinking about her, apart from maybe Christmas Eve, Good Friday, something like that. I once heard on the radio the writer Annie Lamott was talking about going through some really hard times in her own life, and she's one of those people who's really uh, very straightforward about the difficult patches in her life, and she said on the radio that she would turn to Mary to help her. But, Annie Lamont says, but I'm a Protestant. I don't even think you're allowed to hail Mary. <laughs> or you get a really terrible seat in heaven. And no hors d'oeuvres and no chocolate. But I did it anyway because I just felt her inside of me. Now, the story of why Protestants tend to neglect Mary when we're not downright you know, scorning her, is long and involved, complicated, but it boils down to this. To the reformers of the 16th century, people like uh, Luther and Calvin and Zwingli, the Catholic Church at the time had made an idol out of Jesus' mother, which led people to worship her instead of Jesus, instead of God, the Father. And then more recently, maybe the most famous Protestant theologian of the 20th century, Karl Barth, said, quote, In the doctrine and worship of Mary, there is disclosed the one heresy of the Roman Church which explains all the rest. That is idolatry. So, it was surprising a few years ago, maybe five years ago, when the cover of Time magazine proclaimed this, Hail Mary! Catholics have long revered her, but now Protestants are finding their own reasons to reconnect with the mother of Jesus. And, of course, there are many theologians and biblical scholars and preachers and lay people who are trying to reconnect the church to Mary and to other long-forgotten or, or neglected or you know, just not paid attention to female figures in Scripture and in the history of the church, and I, I completely concur with that and support that. They're correcting what can be an overly masculine idea of God and opening up a new way to understand our own faith and, and like allowing us to hear other voices perhaps we've neglected. I also realize that many Hispanic Protestants clearly hold Mary, the Virgin, especially from, if they're from Mexico, a very positive view of her, very positive view of her. But honestly, I am not so sure how widespread this movement is among most Protestants, 
to rehabilitate Mary. At the same time, though, I really hope we do. I really hope we do, because the, the truth is that we Protestants, as Christians, should reconnect and celebrate Mary, if only because God chose her in the first place to connect to us by bearing Jesus the Christ. Now, by this, I don't mean you have to start looking for images of the Virgin Mary on pieces of toast. And I don't mean you have to accept all the doctrinal positions that the Catholic Church has taken over the years about Mary. For example, you don't have to believe in the Immaculate Conception, which is not the idea that Mary was a virgin. It's the idea that Mary herself was born without sin and continued without sin for the rest of her life. And you don't need to accept the doctrine of the bodily assumption of Mary into heaven when she died, or that she was a perpetual virgin, or that she intercedes for us when we pray. Don't get me wrong. You know, I, I'm not saying even all Catholics believe these things. And I'm not putting down those who do. I'm not, millions of people are totally sincere in their practices, their beliefs about venerating Mary. It's just a very sad irony that as the veneration of Jesus' mother gets more and more firmly established in Catholicism, that she slipped further and further away from the consciousness of Protestants until she's become more or less unknown. That's why I love this story story. I first heard it from Peter Gomes, who was the uh, chaplain of Harvard College, and he tells a story about a world-famous Protestant theologian, I don't know, maybe Karl Barth, <laughs> whoever it was, dies and goes to heaven, and Jesus comes down from his throne, and he greets him, puts his arms around him, and he, he shows him around, and he says, ah, professor, what a pleasure to welcome you here. Welcome to the kingdom of heaven. I know you know my father, but I don't believe you know my mother. So the question for us today is this. How do you and I get to know Mary? Whether in heaven or on earth, what is so special about Mary? Well, for one thing, her story shows us how God chooses ordinary, unexpected people to do extraordinary things. When we first meet her in the gospel, she's probably about 12 years old, which was primarying age back 2,000 years ago. So she was betrothed. She was from an insignificant village in this podunk place in Galilee, the poorest, most neglected part of, of the Jewish uh, of the province of Palestina in the Roman Empire. She's just minding her own business. Minding her own business. Maybe she's thinking about her wedding day. I even saw a painting of her not long ago, a modernistic painting that shows uh, Mary just ironing clothes, which was pretty cool. Whatever she's doing, from out of nowhere, an angel shows up. And if you've paid any attention at all on Christmas Eve, you know more or less what happens. But just for a minute, I want you to pause 
Think about this. What if Mary had said no? Would God have impregnated her anyway? Against her free will? Or would God have just gone down the road and chose the next virgin? Leaving Mary alone. I mean, Mary has every reason to object to what this angel is saying to her. She's about to be married. And even if the child she's going to be carrying is God's, what are people going to say in her little tiny village about an unmarried, pregnant girl? And then there's this. How is a simple peasant supposed to raise a child who is one day going to become the king of the Jews? That's what the angel tells her. It's been said that in that one moment of decision, you might even see that pregnant moment. It's as if Gabriel and God and all the heavens wait in breathless suspense. And then for some blessed reason beyond mere logic, she says yes. In an incredible act of trust, she utters those immortal words, let it be with me according to your word. And whatever the scandal, whatever the pain, whatever the cost, let it be. And so it was. Now, could it have been different? Who knows? But this one act of Mary saying yes to God has led the Christian church for 2,000 years to refer to this peasant girl as Theotokos, which is mother of God in Greek. Theotokos. Now to Jesus, she was just mom, or ama in Aramaic. She nursed him, she sang to him, she played with him, she taught him all the stories of his people. He got to know them very, very well. And then later on, when Jesus, her son, started telling his own stories of a woman who was searching for a lost coin or baking bread or, or a woman who was seeking justice from a corrupt official, you can bet one of his models for these stories was his own mother Mary. And then at the end of, the, of his life, she's right there with him as he dies on a cross. And a few days later, she's there again with the other disciples in the upper room in Jerusalem as they wait to see if it could possibly be true, this news that they have heard from another Mary, Mary Magdalene. Is it possible that Jesus has risen from the dead? You know, Mary's story is powerful and poignant, even if I have to admit that the details are kind of sketchy in the Bible. Nothing in this world could stop her from giving birth to the Messiah in her own life, from carrying him. And nothing could keep her from staying with him till the bitter end either, and then beyond. And in that in her simple but persistent faith, she becomes our model 
two. The mother of all believers in Jesus Christ. She reminds us that faith, Christian faith, is not just accepting the right ideas about God or religion. It's grounded in the everyday reality of life and death and marriage and motherhood and hope and pain. And it's about freedom. The freedom to respond to God with a heartfelt yes when every reason on earth might lead you to say no. God chose a humble peasant girl to give birth to new hope in this world. And you know what? God continues to choose ordinary people like you and me to bear hope to bear and share and live good news in our own lives, in how we respond to God and how we share our response by loving all the people, the people that God loves as well. It is our freedom, our free choice to let it be in our own lives as it was in Mary's. I will admit that some of this talk can sound kind of strange to Protestants. Sure did to a registered nurse named Mary Burke's Price. And she writes, she was raised Southern Baptist, so she'd been taught her whole life to pretty much ignore Mary because Catholics had made an idol out of her. But in 1987, at a Christmas Eve service, she began to see things differently. She had, this other Mary, Mary Price Burks, um, she had had a very, Burks Price, I'm sorry, she had had a very difficult pregnancy herself. So she was sitting there in church on Christmas Eve, and as she heard the story of the nativity and cradled her own four-month-old son in her arms, she realized for the first time that Mary's pregnancy must have been just as miraculous as Jesus' birth, Jesus' life. And that feeling, that sensitivity stayed with her. But then a few years later, a close friend died, somebody that she saw as kind of like her own son. It wasn't her son, but a close friend, a a man like her own son. And Mary Burke's price, she ran off to a monastery, to a, I'm sorry, to a convent, a Catholic convent, because she was, she was really devastated, really upset. She was sobbing and praying and looking for answers. And she found herself arriving to the convent. And the first thing she came to was a statue of the Virgin Mary in the courtyard. And here's how she describes what happened. Her hands were outstretched, and her face was looking down on me with this great compassion. It was then that I realized that she knew what it was like to see her son die on the cross, to bear that sorrow and grief. I felt she was giving me a window into the compassion of God that God had for me in my own experience. So this other Mary, Mary Burke's Price, is still a Baptist, but her office in the hospital 
is filled with, with images of the Virgin Mary. She keeps rosary beads for Catholic patients, too, and sometimes she says, I know the prayer better than they do. And you know, I myself have said part of that prayer many, many times in my own life. I learned it by heart in one sitting. <laughs> one night I came across, when I was a kid on the radio, this, this, this radio show called The Rosary Hour. Have any of you ever heard of that? It's just, they repeat the rosary over and over and over again for an hour because it's kind of like a mantra. And so I learned it and kept repeating it over and over myself, especially the Hail Mary part. And it really has helped me over the years when I, when I think about it, when I come to it, to connect to God the Father through the gracious aid of Jesus' mother. So my hope is that Mary doesn't just remain a symbol of mercy and faith and virtue and blessedness for Catholics and Orthodox Christians. My prayer is that even us Protestants can get to know her better and celebrate her as the mother of God and as a pioneer of our faith. And maybe we can agree with or even say the ancient words, Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.